Night falls on the golden age of humanity. Sons shall turn upon their father, and his worlds drown in blood. The eye shall open, and the galaxy will burn. Join us, listeners. We go into the canon lore of the Forge World Black Books on Heresy Grad School. Professors Jason, Patrick, and Dave, myself, will dive into the lore of the Black Books and the Black Library novels that we know and love and explore the heresy as history. So get a coffee, get your notebook out, and uh, prepare to explore heresy as history with us on Heresy Grad School. God, that's the reason nobody asked Craig to the party. No, he, he's a creepy motherfucker. What do you expect? Craig is uh, something of a wallflower. <laughs> it just, oh. just hangs out and, and just stares at you with those creepy eyes, man. He, he just listens in. Right? This is that guy just lurking in the corner, right? Like, who are you, Craig? That guy. Who are you, man? Well, he didn't, I guess he's not bringing his, his buddy with him anymore, though, huh? No, um, which I guess is good, you know, say the least. But uh, welcome, listeners, to another episode of Heresy Grad School, continuing our our wonderful coverage of night houses. We're doing some uh, more specific night houses, not necessarily mechanicum indentured night houses tonight or this week. Um, I'm joined, as usual, with professors Dave and Jason, and then myself, Patrick. We're going to Go over some fun stuff. Hey, Pat, can I take just a minute of our listeners' um, precious time? And uh, I mean, uh, Dave, I guess so. I mean, (laughs) just just to go off the reservation here a little bit. um, So, Heresy Grad School has been a a passion uh, for Jason and I, and Pat, I know you as well. Um, for quite a while, right? It's something that we wanted to do. Uh, We do it because it's a labor of love. But we are also kind of at the point where um, I think some people actually listen to us, which is like fucking mind-blowing, man, right? No! (laughs) Was pretty sure sure when we started that we were just talking to ourselves. I'm pretty sure uh, there's some guy in Australia named Alex who really likes us, but that's about it. Definitely, definitely, Alex. Thank you for listening. Um, but we were part of we were part of the Remembrancers Retreat, uh, which is a, a podcast that you know talks about all kinds of stuff related to the heresy and, and 30k. And, and uh, Jason, Pat, and I are sometimes on, sometimes we're not, but uh, really part of that part of that outlet. And we're exploring Patreon. Um, I think is a way to sort of start to pay the bills, right? For lack of yeah, a better, yeah. just to be brutally honest, like this is way more expensive than I think we thought it would be. I, I mean, let, let's be honest, guys. I mean, we love the heresy. I mean, there's a reason why every single post we post is we remember the heresy. Um, because 
we love the lore, we love the models, we love the hobby, we love gaming. Um, but even so, you know, hosting these episodes still costs some money. It, it uh, is. And it's, it's, it's becoming more expensive to sort of maintain the back catalog um, that we really want to maintain so that we can, you know, continually build on the lore and the heresy grad school projects that we've done before. Um, and I know that this is very new and so nothing official, right? Jesse, I talked to Jesse, who's sort of our, her, uh, engineer podcaster. Um, he and Pat do all the back backroom editing and stuff. Um, he said, don't talk about any specific dates, but it's, you're, you're clear to talk about the concept in general. And I would love to hear from our listeners what they think about, um, two ideas that I have just kicking around in my head and then Pat and Jason, if you guys have any other ideas, right? Yeah. So the one idea that I have that would be sort of just, it's something that anybody can contribute to um, would be a pretty low tier pledge. I'm thinking five bucks a month, maybe less, um, maybe only a one-time thing. Uh, if you like us, click here kind of thing. And then you would get a, an exclusive, uh, I support grad school, you know, something paraphernalia button. Um, you know, so that would be, that would be a really cool way of helping out would not be too expensive. And, I, and we, we haven't really figured this whole thing out yet. So we want to elicit some feedback and then a top tier pledge would be something that, um, would probably only appeal to a few people out there who really listen to us and are hardcore fanatics like we are, who really want to you know, explore the, the deep lore of the heresy. And that would be like, um, I don't know, man, maybe a, a $25, $30 uh, pledge. But that would like let you come on to the show once a month, maybe. Maybe once every two months, we'd have to figure out the frequency. Um, but like talk about something that you were really passionate about and that we'd hash that out beforehand so that, you know, you could – you know, we'd set up a, a chat for you and Jason, Pat and I to kind of talk about something that you were really passionate about that happened in 30K and then uh, and then have you on for 15, 20 minutes to talk about it and record it and, and then we'd edit it and air it at some point in the future. But I don't know, man, that's just me kind of spitballing ideas. What do you guys think? I mean, I got to be honest, I love both of those ideas. And I mean, just to expound, expand upon like that second idea, the idea of that, like, if you coming on to heresy grad school to talk about something you love, you know, we have that initial meeting and then like we do some research around it and you being the expert of it probably already know all about it. Or it might be something like, hey, why, what did the emperor do during the Olinor campaign? That kind of thing. And like, you don't know about it. We don't know about it, but we do research and we just sit down and we talk about it during the cast, you know, kind of given you guys, I know it sounds like legwork, but I mean, I think half of, half of the joy of, of doing the heresy grad school stuff is like doing the research and like finding these little bits of lore that are, that are just really exciting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, this is, this is grad school, right? So, so if you want to come on, you, you got to do your research and you have to have your references and you have to, you know, be cited and everything. Um, it's like a little publishing project, maybe. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, no, that's that's definitely something I wanted to talk about because I think it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but it's it's probably coming sooner rather than later. Um, so if you guys have any other ideas, you have feedback, you like it, you think it sucks, um, you think it's way too expensive, uh, let us know. Um, again, yeah, I think, and, yeah. Oh, sorry, Dave. I was just going to say, and and please do not do not worry, do not freak out. This does not mean that we're going to be uh, gating episodes or like not letting you listen to 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 the normal content or anything like that. We're De- just yeah, definitely bouncing Thank ideas you. off a wall. You know. Thank you, Pat. No, I really appreciate that. You know, the, no, absolutely. We uh, my intent, and certainly Jason, I think you would agree with this: is none of the content will ever be exclusive. Right. That's not the intent of this. Oh, yeah. Is that, you know, if anything, we would like to have people who are passionate and want to talk about stuff. Hey, this is just a platform for you to come and talk about it. We can't obviously do that for everybody. Uh, We would just get overloaded and, you know, we don't have unlimited amount of time uh, ourselves here. So we're trying to figure out what the right, you know, what the right mix there is. But um, but yeah, that's just uh, that's just uh, an idea. So. All right, Pat, what are we talking about tonight? So I do believe we are talking about night houses. Is there, Dave, did you want to go first? I know you had a couple houses you wanted to cover. I did. I did. It's true. Um, I'm talking yeah, a lot more I mean, than I normally which feels weird. But Are we talking about uh, your beautiful, mind you, if you ever play against Dave, he, he's, there's a, there's a top secret night project that he's working on yeah. um, with, with our buddy uh, Dave Sampson at black label painting. Go check him out on Facebook. That was not a plug. That was not official plug. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> not, definitely not. But um, yes, I, I, I don't know that. how to pronounce your night house. Cause I don't want to butcher it, but I will say they look beautiful. So yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. So, so I think what I want to talk about tonight, Pat, is uh, we had some really big news that came out in White Dwarf. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like huge news, right? So, AT so I know, stuff, dude. AT, AT man has answered a lot of our our burning questions and desires. And Jason, I know you were a part of this. This this there was like some there was some internet rage around this idea of um, vassal night houses. Uh, specifically attached to Titan Legions, right? And there were some people saying, "Oh, you can't paint them in the same like like livery, and you you can't do that." And uh, well, well, J- well, Jason, do you wanna you wanna weigh in on that? Well, uh, we did touch on it a little bit last time. So uh, I will admit, I do take a little bit more pleasure than I should uh, a fucking with know it alls on the internet. Which is entertaining because you, me, and Pat kind of bill ourselves as not know-it-alls, but constant students, right? <clears throat> Chief High Muckety Muck of the Know-it-alls, thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. So the one thing I hate more than anything, besides not citing a reference when you, you know, try and base a factual statement, uh, is when people tell other people, like, you have to do it this way because that's what the lore says. Uh, and that irritates the shit out of me, because in like the constant discussions over what's canon or not, the lore for 30k even has changed since this all got started. The lore for 40k has 
gone through so many changes. I've lost count, and I've been playing since. Oh shoot, I was nine years old, so twenty-one years now. That's awesome. Yeah, don't be that guy. That's not what the internet's for. It <laughs> obviously not. Uh, the internet is for pornography. Ooh, you got to tell half the internet that, Dave. That's right. <laughs> oh, and uh, and shitting on movies that you don't like. That's another big, big pillar. But anyhow. First and foremost, paint your knights how you want to paint your knights. Paint your knights the same color as your titans. Better yet, paint your titans the same color as your knights. Because knights, it's really just their world. Titans just play. Love and, it. But, this coming from the guy who has how many knights for AT, Jason? Uh, 42 Questorus and uh, 8 Serastus so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Suck it, internet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the point being that in the lore, there are plenty of places where knights have shared color schemes with Titan Legios, either by accident, you know, just from having similar color schemes because every single, you know, knight house pledge to the Mechanicum is some variation on gold, black, and red. Or because they've been, you know, seconded to the Legio. Like one of the houses we'll talk about tonight um, that ships off more knights to run, you know, interference for Titan Legios than any other knight house, save Tyrannus. Uh, but Patriot yeah. Knights want to paint them. That, that's the big takeaway message here. Amen. Well, uh, if you needed any more authority than that, uh, which you shouldn't because, god damn it, we're the authority. Uh, I mean, it's in, in the this... name. Just, out there. <laughs> no, um, absolutely not. But in, in this month's White Dwarf, so the February 2019 White Dwarf, um, Andy Hoare, the man himself, spoke, and he wrote an article on Adeptus Titanicus vassal nighthouses. And he says, and I quote, there also exists a third class of house quite apart from these. So he's talking about the two that we've covered before, which are the, um, the vassal houses of the Mechanicum, right? Which follow the Sidon protocols. Some of those uh, are pretty harsh in the way they interpret the Sidon protocols. Some of them are more um, lenient, right? And it, uh, allow for more sort of in independence. And then the Imperial night houses, obviously, but uh, and he says, there exists a third class of house, the Titanicus vassal houses. These might have their own traditions and may recruit from a particular world, but each is entirely subservient to one of the legios of the Adeptus Titanicus. So integrated are the Titan Titanicus vassal houses that they often bear the livery and devices of the parent legio. And it is extremely rare for them to fight apart from it. That is page 129, February 2019, White Dwarf. So, yeah, internet, take a chill, man. Um, also going to, yeah. sorry, I, this is also just a pet peeve of mine. It doesn't matter what level of painter you are. It doesn't matter what type of models you have. Don't ever, ever shame people for the, their choices with their models. Don't ever yeah. do it. Yeah, don't be that guy. Yeah, if you listen to this podcast and you do that, I don't want you listening to my podcast. <laughs> Boom. This is a very different tone for us tonight, right? Well, <laughs> and, and now we're going to get into happy yeah. shit. All so. right. 
we will fight you. We will literally <laughs> fight you. So, 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 so quick, quick thing. Jack, Jason will fight, fight you, you, and and I'll 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 root him on in the in the backfield. So yeah, that's why Pat's our manager. That's right. Yeah, I don't fight. I just manage these people. It's no big deal. So this is pretty cool. Um, it it goes on to say vassal scions are quite nature from scions in the service of imperial or mechanicum oathbound houses. They have none of the sense of individualism, which the imperial scions in particular are so well known for. Their fierce sense of duty instead sublimated into utter dedication for their legio masters. Theirs is not a blind, unquestioning obedience. However, uh, for vassal scions know that their legio masters rely upon them, and this endows great honor upon them. And so it's pretty cool the distinction that I think... um, Andy and Forge World are drawing here, uh, well, Specialist Games are drawing here. And so they're really creating a third category of Nighthouse. And I don't know if you guys have listened or read Titan Death yet, but it's it's absolutely in line with um, House Vi, right? Which are, uh, they're the, the Knights of... Procon, and they are the knights attached to Legia Solara. Uh, Solaria? Solara. Solaria. Um, have either of you guys read Titan Death yet? Not yet. So good. I mean, it, it's going to be probably my next Audible purchase, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I am also going to get the Audible purchase, so like, Jonathan Keeble can read it to me instead. I know. His sweet, sweet voice, man. Tell me about uh, it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 really good. Um, it's really in line with with uh, the lore that's that's laid out in um, Titan Death, and so I think it's cool. We have a third category of vassal nighthouse, specifically those attached to the Legio Titanicus. Yeah, I mean, I like just that alone that they they feel honored by their Titan, you know, masters or I guess patrons almost. It's is kind of interesting compared to what we talked about last week or correction. It was the week before just about, um, you know, completely indentured night houses to like the Mechanicum. Well, I think it was also a question. I don't know if Alex asked, but I know one of our listeners asked us this. They were like, they were like, like guys, right? So forge worlds make night chassis, right? That's primarily how night chassis are made. There are some, night worlds that still maintain the capability of producing their own, um, you know, night chassis and and usually in limited supply and limited um, type, right? So that a night world wouldn't be able to produce all of the variations of, uh, of night armors. But, uh, but I think, you know, so Alex was on point, right? I think it was Alex. And he was like, so, so forge worlds make knights, right? So like, why don't they just go fucking find pilots to put in them and like <laughs> run them with their own tagmatas and uh, and and titan legions? And so I think this kind of answers that question, right? At least in part, it's so so they do. Um, House Vi was approached by the forge world of Procon uh, very soon after the discovery of it. And courted by the Mechanicum, just like in many of the early sort of discoveries of Night Worlds and compliances. And ultimately, they take their princeps and their scions from the same bloodline. 
So for Legia Solaria, spoiler alert, um, the the women of that bloodline become princeps, and the men become scions, and they fight together. How fucking cool is that? That's really legit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's, it's like some weird form of bioengineering. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good. It's good. It's a deep lore that I'm really into right now. Titan Death. But uh but yeah, so I think I think we we we've answered the internet. We answered the mail on that. And now um Jason, I know you're you're dying to talk about Housecraft, man. These guys are like your I mean, I don't know. Are they your favorite Nighthouse? I don't know. They're definitely up there. It's a little odd because I'll admit you could make things up about 40k, and I would not know much of the difference. Oh yeah, but uh, and Nighthouse Crest is uh, very, uh, very sparsely, you know, accounted for during the Heresy. Um, but I actually really enjoy them because they seem to be like that. Uh, I know we talked about a spectrum of how the Sidon protocols kind of affected Nighthounds. So some you have like on the way, way far, like basically thrall house in like house Atrax that are essentially, you know, prisoners of the Sidon protocols contract. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, like house Crast, that essentially seems to have like grown up in like perfect, you know, symbiosis with the Mechanica. And that's why I think they're such like a fascinating study. Because during the heresy, like so many of these vassal houses of the Mechanicum seem to have gone really tits up for the night houses. And they're basically indentured, you know, shock troops at, you know, the tail end of it. But uh, House Crast is the one I wanted to talk about, even though they're loyalists. They're that cool. It's, so. a, big, it's a big deal, listeners. If you have not been listening to us for a long time... I can count on the number, I can count on one hand the number of times Jason has said that. That yeah. loyalists were cool. Like, this yeah. is a big deal, guys. This um, is a big my deal. My jaw is currently on the floor. I don't know yeah. how I'm talking. It's, it's bad. Uh, it's because ever since, you know, I got into lore and literature as a whole in the first place, villains have already, you know, for years for me, been the more interesting aspects of a story. Fight me. But... House Crast. Let's talk about these guys. I've said it like a half dozen times so far, but House Crast is fucking nuts, you guys. So, starting out here, uh, during the first little tendrils of the Great Crusade going out into the universe, uh, House Crast and their world of crisis were the first intact night world to be discovered. And they're super proud of this, even on into the 42nd millennium. Uh, discovered by rogue trader militant Jeffers, which sounds like the most pencil-pushing, like, I don't know how he made it to the rank of rogue trader militant, but regardless, he was the first to find this night world. And interestingly, uh, House Crast, actually, uh, we talked about sort of the... Uh, almost like the little Cold War between the Mechanicum and the Imperial Crusade of trying to like find and pledge these night houses to their own causes first. 
So that's, you know, again, another big thing that kind of made that division between the Mechanicum and the quote unquote Imperium at large, so divisive at some points, uh, were how these night houses were pledged. So House Crast meets up with the Mechanicum, throws everything into them. They're actually comparatively close to Mars. And um <clears throat> and they were pretty proud of that all the way through their service time. Uh, they got shipped down into the Great Crusade. Uh, to date, they are second only to House Tyrannus in the number of knights they send out to be seconded to Titan Legios. And again, that's something they're pretty proud of. So their losses when they were discovered were so great that it was really only their ties to Mars and their proximity thereof and the actual direct support of the Fabricator General himself that keeps them from dying out or reverting to some sort of wacky, you know, archaeo-feudalistic culture like, uh, like Maccabeus. Uh, their knights do not end up running on diesel fuel and, you know, a prayer. But uh, everything does not go well for, uh, for House Crab because by the end of the heresy, they basically show back up. The heresy is apparently mostly passed them by. But they show back up, and there's not a whole lot left of Crisis when they return to it. Uh, beforehand, it's a pretty verdant jungle world with several night houses on it, not just Crest. When they get back to it after the Crusade, after the heresy, uh, Legio Mortis has essentially turned the entire planet into an irradiated wasteland. And it's, uh, it's an issue. And ever since then, uh, into the heresy, they will specifically seek out uh, chaos, all of its varied forms, but most specifically uh, chaos titan legios, uh, especially those titans from Legio Mortis. And what's interesting, uh, Dave's got a pretty sweet breakdown for us a little later of um, some of the heraldry iconography from uh, different night houses. One of the most important pieces of iconography for House Crast nobles is uh, that of the broken skull of Legio Mortis. Uh, that is reserved specifically for veteran scions uh, as a kill marker for a Mortis Titan. And as a House Crast scion, if you kill a Legio Mortis Titan, uh, not only do you receive this uh, cracked horn skull on your banner. You're also forever etched into the hammer of traitors. And you are also remembered for all time back on Crisis. Uh, on top of which, you shall henceforth be known as a head taker, which is the highest honor a crass noble can receive. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Crisis as a world here. So what's interesting, it's an irradiated hellscape now. Basically from the time they're born and start training, the scions of House Crest are sworn to hate chaos more than anything else. It's what turned their world like it is, and they spend their entire life growing up, uh, looking out from under you know domed void shields at the hell their world is now. And the most prominent thing of the largest fortress on House Crest is a massive statue 
of a uh, head taker, uh, Forillus. And uh, Forillus is one of the most famous head takers in the Legio. Uh, he ended up way back when destroying, uh, let's see here. Oh, right. This is the dude that destroyed a Gargan, uh, received personal accolades from the Fabricator General, and had an entire wing of knights seconded to the Cockatrice's Legion. Burr, dirt, dirty knight killing an orc vehicle. Here. <laughs> but, uh, no, Jason, that's, that is, that's just so badass. And I gotta, I gotta think that these guys are gonna show up in the lore, right? Like, they're gonna show up at some point in the heresy just based on the fact that, you know, they're out on campaign, they're out on crusade, something happens to crisis, they come back, and now they've got this, this vendetta against um, Legio Mortis, which, I mean, they're like, they're, they're like the bad guys, right? They're like the villain, the super villain of the, of the Titan story. And um, God, it's fucking so cool, man. I did not know that Head Taker... I'm looking at the picture of this guy on page 94 in the Night Companion. Is that where you? Is that where you're at? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's just like fucking. There's so much. There's just so much going on here. Um, yeah, I hadn't even considered like decoding uh, the Night Companion, a uh, Night Companion, but I'm definitely going to do it now. Because um, yeah, wow. Good to hear. So the other thing I wanted to talk about with House Crass is the Hammer of Traitors. So this is one reason I kind of love House Crass so much, because while technically they're, you know, loyalists, they're, they're pretty terrifically bad loyalists. Uh, the Hammer of Traitors is this massive monument forged from adamantium, and it's the pretty much the living record of all of the impressive kills that House Crast has rallied together to, you know, uh, has rallied together to perform over the years and the centuries. And uh, this is mostly their kills against servants of the Dark Gods. Towards the top are the more impressive ones. Our very first are kills from Legio Mortis, and it works their way down through different demon engines, uh, super heavy tanks, uh, notable forces, and the bottom of which contains a bunch of heretic armies, the names of worlds, commanders, and things they've defeated. And it's said to mention casualty numbers in the hundreds of thousands as an after. Because for a scion of House Crast, defeating like a single general isn't that impressive. Defeat an army of hundreds of thousands is maybe worth mentioning, but it's at the bottom of the page. Also, down here towards the bottom, uh, the base and foundation are ringed in chains because House Crast has a really bad habit of absconding with chaos generals and heretic prisoners uh, secretly taken from war zones without the knowledge of the Inquisition. And, uh, you know, in uh, the 42nd millennium, the Inquisition is pretty touchy about that sort of thing. But since... Uh, Crisis is a giant irradiated toxic hellscape now. Uh, they will chain up these prisoners to, you know, just die off and watch them while they do. And while the Inquisition has occasionally investigated Crass, it always meets like the full bureaucratic uh, roadblocks of the uh, Mechanicus at large. 
And uh, some inquisitorial agents have even been known to vanish by, you know, trying to press too deep into what House Prast has going on. So it's spectacular in that while the fabricator general, whoever it is in the 42nd millennium, I will admit I do not know. Uh, but it's really cool that they work just like you know, a Mechanicum Mafia in that, you know, they'll get the job done, but if you start poking too deep into their methods or what they got going home, you know, going on back home at the villa, you start disappearing and it never works out well for anybody concerned. These these are the guys that you like you you break glass on, right? Like you you call mm-hmm. these guys when it's like when it's real bad, you know? And uh and you just we send got them a in. job. <laughs> <laughs> you don't ask a lot of questions afterwards, you know. Um, but no, it's that's that is part of what I miss, honestly, about um, you know, the grim dark, man, is uh things are just so much darker in M42, M41, M42. I mean, it's pretty bad in the Harris, but it's still not the same, you know? Like, it's... Like well, chaos really gone. isn't a yeah. thing in 30K. You know, we... Like, I, a concept. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's a concept. It's not, like, physical form of, like, how, you know, it is in 40K. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's a lot more sparse 42 as well. It's interesting, uh, I've heard the number quoted oh, in several different locations. Uh, a couple of podcasts, too, actually. But um, in the betrayal at Calf, uh, more Astartes died in like the opening salvo of the Campanile striking you know, the orbital stations than were even involved in the entire Third War for Armageddon, which is one of the largest, you know, conflicts of, well, I mean, third and fourth edition, at least. Yeah, yeah that would have been fourth edition, like, right? It, it, it lasts for like, isn't it like decades? Like the third war for Armageddon, I want to say. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. decades. Yeah. That's fucking crazy, man. I mean, in the like seventh edition lore or so, there are about a million Astartes. And that's not that many when you're thinking about a galaxy spanning empire that at its height is comprises millions multiple millions of worlds and i mean of course it's gone downhill and the territory has certainly shrunk you know that the imperium has a hold on up to you know 42 but a million astartes to cover that much location is not a whole lot yeah, no, it's 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 definitely not. But you also have to look at the fact that hey, I know we're going on a bit of a tangent, but you have to go on, on the fact that also with the introduction of the Codex Astartes, yes, you have now legions being brought down into chapter strength, but then you also have the Imperial Guard being built up more and more into you know the industrial complex that is the Astra Militarum. And you have to think about the fact that, like, they're counting on those guardsmen or those Astro Militarum to do just as much as, like, a chapter could. I will not, under any circumstances, ever refer to them as the Astro Militarum. 
I'm not either. It's just in case somebody says, like, <laughs> oh, you guys talked about the guard, but it's really Estramilitarum. It's always been the guard. They were guard when I started playing. They'll be guard when I die. So it was good go. enough for me 20 years ago. Good All enough. Right. Sorry, uh, sorry that Games Workshop couldn't copyright Imperial Guard, you know, but whatever. But, all right, that's enough talking out of me about Housecraft. Dave, you've got, like, so much business for us. All right, guys. Uh, I do have some business for House Orlock. Um, so these guys are near and dear to my heart. Um, they're, they are my night house. Uh, I have, as Pat has alluded, uh, embarked on a secret project. Uh, <laughs> Super secret. <clears throat> so, so secret that the internet now knows about it. Literally the internet. Um so I have been um, working with a couple guys to build a transfer sheet uh, specifically for House Orlock. It's going to be very, very cool. It'll be on the same level as uh, the, the transfer sheets that, that Forge World puts out. But, so if you're interested in that, if you love House Orlock as much as I do, or you would just like to maybe be one of the few people that has one of those, please reach out to me. Um, and that'll I'll, I'll link back to that at the end of this. But um, for for the lore part of House Orlock, they really were significant in a number of ways. Um, so on page one twenty five in book four, uh, we'll start on page one twenty four. I just want to read to you a little bit about their material strength because um, it's it's really sort of illustrative of some of the variations and in, and in independence that a night house can have and probably needs to have in order to not be um not become oath bound to the mechanicum so part of the reason that that i think house orlock is not a vassal bound house and is a full imperial house and has the full rights and privileges of an imperial knight house and they didn't just get that right off the bat right like uh, the seventh uh, expeditionary fleet didn't just show up and like you know hand that warrant over to them. Um, they sort of had to earn it. But part of the reason they were able to earn it is because they had some some unique capabilities. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you guys a little bit about that right now. Page 124, book four, material strength. Decades operating in the outer reaches of the Great Crusade served to strengthen House Orlock, not weaken it. Its scions gained a wide experience in warfare, while the influx of new weapons, technology, and war gear from the expeditionary fleets with which they served further strengthened the house. This, along with gifts from new knight armors from the Mechanicum and their own independent production abilities in this regard, was to see their forces deal well with battlefield losses unlike some of their peers. For these reasons, it is generally believed that at the time of the outbreak of the War of the Heresy, it's like a lot of words to basically say the heresy, House Orlock was of the higher end of the Secundus rank with perhaps as many as 300 knight armors in viable condition under its command, and perhaps would have been greater yet had their relatively low population of Darkhaven been able to support more. So that sort of suggests that these guys had the... Um, independent ability to produce knight chassis. They just didn't have scions to fill them. So it's, it's an interesting sort of supply and demand problem there. Um, this nevertheless put them as one of the stronger of the frontier knighthouses. 
although others closer to the Imperium's core could claim far greater strength. So like House Crass, obviously House Tyrannus, those houses that are linked to Forge Worlds can obviously produce more knight armors. But at the outbreak of the heresy, several household detachments were off-world, fighting far across the galaxy and cut off from any chance of return during the war's early years, leaving perhaps 150 knight armors at Darkhaven for the conflict in the Coronid Deeps. Now, if you guys remember from a few episodes back, um, Darkhaven was the original homeworld of House Orlock. They uh, made a strategic decision to abandon that, and they left a few few night chassis behind. But for all intents and purposes, they um, they left Darkhaven uh, because they knew they couldn't defend it from a full-on uh, traitor fleet invasion, right? Like, they just didn't have... The capability to defend from orbit, um, and that ended up being the the right idea. So, the survival of the technology of Darkhaven's original foundation is a marked factor in House Orlock's power, with its own seneschals retaining a very high degree of interdependent arcana forms, including unusual facilities with genetics and biosurgery not common among their kind. The women and the men and women of the house, be they scion or retainer, are also known to dabble in techno arcana and many of the house knight armors feature unusual customizations and fine tuning to suit their operators' needs in battle. So I think what's really interesting about this is it speaks to um, number one, sort of I think a higher uh, degree of um, sort of the, the blending of, of Night Scion and um, Sacristan, Sac- Sac- right? So, so the, the Seneschals of House Orlock were, were both competent in um, genetics and biosurgery as well as basically being able to uh, tweak their night armors, right? For, for lack of a more technical term, they were, they were able to like, you know, get under the hood and, uh, and, and sort of tool them up, man. Um, so I just thought that was so fucking cool. These, these guys really are sort of the reason that night houses, Imperial night houses survive the dark age of technology. And then it can also resist sort of the, um, the lure of the Mechanicum, right? When the Mechanicum show up and they say, Hey, you know, we'll make you strong again. You know, we'll give you all the new, Night armors. Um, all we want in return is, you know, your undying loyalty and pledge to the the Sidon protocols. Um, so that's just really interesting. And it goes on to say on page five that uh, a wide number of night armors and classes are utilized by the house. Uh, the most common is the Knight Errant. So if you guys want to play standard plastic kit Knight Errants, you are absolutely um in uh you, you would be within your rights right so it's in the lore knight errants are a huge part of house orlock um the effectiveness of that their thermal weaponry uh against dark haven's native fauna is one of the reasons why they're they're uh, thought to be um one of the more popular knight uh chassis but it goes on to say that uh within the ranks of the great crusade however so the the Knights of House Orlock that are in the Crusade. Um, there were more armors available. 
and this is all analogous, right? This is all sort of allegorical. So any of imperial, any of the imperial night houses that would be in the crusade would have access to these types of honor, uh, armors as well. I would think um, the Acheron, the Castigator, both saw increased use um, on the battlefield of Numenal. Uh, they were actually able, able to add some of the armors that originated on Cyclothrace. Uh, so they probably add, what would those be, Pat? The this would be um, Lancers and probably Strix or um, Majeras, however you pronounce it. Um, I think that's right, right, Jason? For Cyclothrace, they mostly produced like Lancers and uh, Strixes and the other variant. Uh, yeah, I definitely think the 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 Strix and the Majera as the Majera. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do know, but when we get into uh, my night house, like they are directly supported by Cyclothrace, um, and one of their big supports is is of Lancers, lots and lots of Lancers. So. Um, if if they took anything, it'd probably be lancers. <laughs> well, I mean, Pat, that seems like a, a like a perfect segue. So, um, yeah, that'll wrap up my my sort of review of House Orlock, and um, I'll talk a little bit uh, later at the end of this episode about sort of a project that I'm going to do um, that'll cover some night houses as well. But but Pat, tell us about House Airthane. Most definitely. So, uh, House Earthane, it's page, uh, I think it's 130 in book four, uh, originally known like by their, uh, I guess, proto-Gothic or cognomine name, the Rackendor, which, which translates to the Pilgrims of Ash and Blood, I believe. Of Blood and Ash, excuse me. So, um, originally, these... These knights uh, were marauders uh, on the edges of of the Imperium, and uh, they would show up uh, to settlements or show up to planets. They would make planet fall and kill everything, enslave people, and take them back to their homeworld. Um, and after the Ulinar campaign, uh, the Rakandor show up on. Uh, Altrius Pharaoh, which is a um, which is a world that was recently claimed by um, the Cyclothrace, actually uh, Forge World, and uh, start attacking it, and so that causes Horus to actually fight them, and so the story around that is that Horus, in like single combat, tears apart the commanding knight's uh, chassis and kills him. Um, and the group of marauding knights uh, swears fealty to them, or to uh, Horus, and says, "Hey, you know, if you are looking for more of us, here is where we're from." Um, and they're from a, a world that has essentially been destroyed and is just shards of world. And it's not exactly no, no one knows. Like the Mechanicum isn't able to figure out why the world was destroyed or how the world was destroyed, but essentially it's just bunches of little night houses of the Rackendor or of the Rackendor that um, essentially fight for these little pieces of, of world. 
But I did, there is something kind of interesting that kind of relates back to a topic we were talking about um, during last cast. Um, it's on page, let's see, this is page 133, called uh, Throne of Blood. This talks specifically about um, the throne mechanicus. And Dave, you might appreciate this. But it says, some amongst the ranks of the Mechanicum have advanced the theory that the destruction of their homeworld left those throne Mechanicum salvaged from the scattered com- commune domes of House Earthane irreparably damaged, or the House template of repairs somehow mangled. The complex neural circuitry contained within them once set to instill in those bonds to them the need to protect their ancestral domain now torments them with the overpowering need to rebuild that which was shattered beyond repair. So over the centuries of the Age of Strife, the warriors of the Rakendor are believed to have been driven to raid and pillage by the impulse of their throne mechanicum dragging men and resources back to their broken fragments of their realm, seeking past sanity uh, to restore that was sundered and replace that which had been lost. Wow, man. That's, uh, that's pretty bleak. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing sort of this world that had like catastrophic, you know, uh, destruction wrought on it something went wrong who knows so i'm i mean i'm i'm thinking that it's they're still sort of held together by gravity right they're in some kind of geosynchronous orbit right these all these little pieces of asteroid yeah the way they describe them is like blasted shards of their home world so i'm i imagine like chunks of continent kind of like floating all together but like separate you know um is it like do they have an atmosphere or is it like are they void so they live in domes is the way they describe it that's wild dude yeah and so the way they so they're known as these pilgrims of of blood and ash and the way they get around is they enslave psychers to be navigators and that's how they raid and pillage around the outer sectors um oh wow so like so that makes sense, right? So like when, when like the age of strife, right? So they they lost the ability to do sort of like long-term warp travel, but they right. can at least do like short-term warp jumps by taking these. I mean, they're probably not alpha plus class psychers. They're probably just oh, like no. your, yeah. nat- your native homebreed, like, hey man, I got psychic. And they just, they stuff them in a navigator chair and they're like, Point them in the right direction. I don't know. Yeah. And there's there's an interesting point um, in the book where they talk about how like once once Horus essentially rips apart this command knight, like these other knight knights and their scions swear fealty to him, but they call him the Ring Gifter. Like that is their their title of like fealty or patronage, which I thought was interesting. I don't know what it harkens back to. They only mention it once. But essentially, like they they swear a complete fealty to him, and after that, they Horus and like a group of Jesteran and those knights go out into like the void and come back with the entire house of Earthane. That's pretty badass, dude. I yeah, 
I hope we I hope we get a little bit more backstory on. Is this, I mean, is this there, it? there's well, no, there there is tons of stuff in here. One of one of the big things I wanted to talk about is like you can already see like the gears working in Horace's head because essentially when uh. So, like, pre-heresy, uh, they talk about how when the Rackendor are converted to House Earthane, their reported numbers are only about 100 knights, which, which makes them a small house compared, compared to most houses. Um, but as soon as the heresy begins, there is a report of um, House Earthane knights attacking outposts with with multiple lancer pattern um knights and it's believed that their their actual numbers were uh 300 or more uh, which also which i mean means that horus was definitely already fudging the numbers um oh dude which, you're which so says right. something yeah um it, yeah on page and they one. were directly supported by cyclothrace too which which i thought was interesting so go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just, I mean, I'm looking at page 130 right there. It says household grade tertius, and it has an asterisk. And the asterisk says grade assigned by Divisio Militaris based on data provided by the officers of the War Master's Command, comma, mm-hmm. now believed erroneous, which is uh, it's pretty wild, man. Oh, yeah. Um, and let's see. Yeah. It, and it's just, you know, you can already see the gears turning. You can al- already understand it. And there's a certain point right before the heresy when, you know, Horus, it, it was it would have been after the whole Davin incident. Spoilers, if you haven't read the book, well, tough. Um, Horus comes back, but there is a, there's a complaint that um, the house, House Earthane has essentially in a compliance killed hundreds of thousands of citizens. Um, and so Horus dispatches a contingent of Davenite lodge priests, as well as sons of Horus. And so this is late um, four point M 31. Wait, would that be pre heresy or post or current heresy? I'm trying to think. No, that'd be, that would be pre uh, yeah. because Istvan didn't happen until over. So this is um this is definitely pre pre Istvan. Yeah. And this kind of uh so uh the priests are of the crow house and it's almost like they indoctrinate the um the scions and the night pilots of House Earthane into their into like the chaotic uh worship cuz all cuz House Earthane slowly starts using the the symbol of the crow on their armors as well as the eye of the war master dude this is wild like i'm gonna be honest airthane lore but we're talking about a whole nother davenai lodge right like the only lodge we know about the serpent lodge where horse is taken right which comes up in vengeful spirit and then again right in moloch right um well i mean it comes up in uh it it comes up slightly in Ventral Spirit. It also comes up in um, uh, Twisted, the short story about uh, Malagurst. Oh, nice. Where okay. he actually expels all the Davenite priests from the Ventral Spirit. But 
that's a whole nother story. And another, um, what I really want to get to is some of these beautiful, like full plates, um, you know, they're in, in going to Dave, I know you really want to talk about heraldry, but like 134 and uh, 135, there's some beautiful heraldry there. No, I mean, I, 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 I've not done my research, Pat. So if you want to go ahead and decode some of these um, these banners and some of the iconography on these guys, be, please go ahead. Tell us what yeah. this is all about. So, um, so for instance, on page uh, 134, you have Knight Majera Carabos, uh, or Kerberos, excuse me, uh, ceased in the battle from House Atrax at the height of the fighting on Numenol. The uh, Majera Mark armor, Kerberos, now bears the heraldry of Erthogen's uh, chief. I'm not even going to try and butcher that name, uh, Redroth. Uh, his warband actually spurned Horus when Horus tried to dominate and then just returned to Reaving. That's another interesting point about this house is that, yes, the majority of them went traitor, but a portion of them didn't necessarily go loyalist, but they went mercenary or they just went rogue. Um, And like there are reports of House Earthane Knights, I think even on Moloch, maybe I'm, I'm trying to think where we talked about it, but there was like there's traitor knights versus mercenary knights of her house earthane fighting against each other and it's uh, not that they're loyalists it's just that somebody paid them enough that was actually in the tail end of the coronet reach campaign uh in addition to a whole bunch of boys from house orlock uh Ireton massad actually hired on a few uh knights from house earthane too yeah i mean so they're they're equal opportunity as well as traitor, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of like the knight version of a black shield almost. Yeah. Uh, so down on page one thirty five, uh, you have this this beautiful banner. Um, so uh, let's see, knight armor Carabros wears the distinctive black and red of a door, and its attached uh, banner bears the white axe. And runic insignia of Aldfell Red Roth, who's the the pilot. Um, the pattern of the red and black chosen by the Rakendor warriors for their armor follows no known scheme or heraldry uh, recorded by the Officio Militaristic College of Arms, with no apparent correlation between the patterns, complexity, and ranks it bears. Um, and I thought it was interesting. And then they t- go back into detail, uh, Dave, about how almost all the emblems have the spread wing pattern of the crow. So, and that's a symbol of prophecy and fate amongst them. And so I think that may have been, I think that might've been part of the gears turning in Horace's head when he sent the Davnite Lodge. Oh, that, hey, because yeah, they talk dude. about how it's a symbol of prophecy to the rack and door. Which was their name before they became House Earthane. Well, so if a bunch of priests show up with the crow symbol, they're going to th- interpret that as as messengers from prophecy, right? Right. Oh, you, you're going to say, Jason? Sorry. Uh, yeah, you know the uh, Thousand Sons, the Corvidae, uh, were pretty heavily into the crow imagery as well. And if you want to skip forward or maybe behind the curtain 
a little bit. Uh, there is a certain other uh, bird-related entity that is pretty heavy on the fate and the machinations. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just saying. Just saying. So, <laughs> um, and and then like the final piece I want to talk about is this is the last night they show off the Serastis Knight Lancer, Great Thunor. Um, it's on page one thirty six. Uh, I I'm actually honored. I have an almost exact replica of this knight. Uh, one of our really good friends in Richmond thirty k, uh, Jake. Uh, got me a Night Lancer for my Secret Santa and followed this this entire picture that's on here to a T. Like everything is painted perfectly from like the rivets to the battle damage. It's beautiful. Um but we should get a picture of that, Pat. We should get a picture of I will definitely post Facebook a picture page. of it. Um the caption of this is perfect though. This pic capture shows the knight armor great Thunor bearing the insignia of the Earthane warrior Great in. It was recovered from the burning hulk of a Mezzan void arc sacked by a raiding brand, band from House Earthane, whose sealed knight armor allowed them to board and assault the craft while it was still in deep space and far from aid. Like, that's how insane and just how, you know, willing they were to pillage that they, you know, they jump out of the ship that they're in could be a void art could be trying to think what's the largest or what's the smallest ship that a knight could probably be in a cruiser maybe and, and, and attack a ship mid void flight, you know, that's pretty wild, dude. Yeah. Um, I, I love these guys. Uh, I love the lore around them. I, I've my first Legion with Sons of Horus, and just the idea that Horus single-handedly like tore apart knights in order to make these guys wear fealty to him was was so cool to me. Um, and I mean, red and black is is the best way to go. Let's be honest. I like the comparison too because you talk about Horus fighting multiple knights at once, but also there's that one picture of him. From like the segment on Port Ma, where he's just stepping on a single like solar auxilia, you know, legionary, just like squishing that poor unaugmented human. Yeah, and then there, if you look at like um, in the eventual spirit, like he gets attacked by an entire posse of of knights, um, and 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 he he somehow or he doesn't quite defend himself completely and his his just Aaron have to come and help him um i i know it just the idea of like this is why he has the title not only is he a tactician but like he also has the brute strength you know um but but i just find these guys cool like i mean even their proto-gothic name to be honest i prefer to call them by the rack and drawer just because the pilgrims of blood and ash is so much cooler than hauser thing but again i hold on to old things pretty sweet man that was uh that was information to me pat i yeah and i mean i i know i glossed over some stuff but like still I, i think i hit all the big points at least Absolutely, man. That was that was a fantastic job. You you brought 
Brought some interesting things to my attention for sure, man. Kinda... Oh, I will say, uh, Dave, like like your Nighthouse, um, pre-Heresy, they were only known to have Paladins and Errants. So if you guys want to run House Earthane with, you know, stock GW out-of-the-box Knights, you can do the same. Um, yeah, absolutely. Guys, like this. There's no prejudice whatsoever in the Oh, community. I mean, regardless. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, just fucking run nights, man. Run nights to your heart's content. Of course. Um, so, Pat, so page 137, um, this is a really good to um, sort of a project I wanted to talk about in, in closing. Um, yeah. Unless, I think, I think that's all we were going to do tonight. Um, but... So page 137, there's a banner in the upper right-hand corner, right? And it's it talks about prominently displayed on Great Thunor. It talks about the uh, core hatch and the right grieve of the person. Scion. Um, so if you look at the banner, you know, that core hatch, uh, which I'm, I'm assuming... Yeah, so they're talking about, so like, the name of the actual Princept is right, like, if you look a little farther down at the very bottom of 137, so, like, the name of the actual Scion is right above the the viewing port, and then right below it is his personal crest. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And then that banner, which Jake did a fantastic job with, is, again, that crow imagery holding the Eye of Horus and then a, a dead snake. Um Okay, so would would you say that would be then standard for uh, House Airthane to have the Scion's name on top of the core hatch? Would that be where it goes? Um, I definitely think so. At at least for like um, for Serastus pattern, because with with uh, patterns that are closer to like the Errants and like the Paladins, for instance, they're their core hatch isn't necessarily as accessible. Sure. But like for like the Strix or the uh, Majera, um, you know, their core hatch isn't actually seen on top of the carapace. Uh, but as far as House Ursang, like if you go back to page uh, 136, you have that shield um, with the red and black uh, multi-pointed star. You'll see that on every House Ursang knight. Um, or at least uh, knights that uh, transferred over to House Earthane. So not necessarily on on knights that weren't House Earthane. But okay, um, yeah, yeah. No, and and then so it goes on to say the combination. Oh, sorry. Uh, the right grieve are personal arms of Scion Graydon, a skull surmounting two cross spears. So you can go down. You can look at his right grieve which is right above his his footplate right and so there's mm-hmm. that kind of that uh, skull and then there's two i guess they're cross spears right and so that his position within the house subcult of the angha uh or the anhaga and then so that would be the the silence the lord's other houses um but we could we could maybe look at some of the pictures of uh house everything that we have and we could try to maybe extrapolate uh if we have any uh where the other what the other houses or what the other positions within the house would mean but so that's kind of where i'm going with this project is 
uh, a few episodes ago, a few episodes back, probably a lot now. Um, we really sh- we, we got to start cataloging these and numbering them. Oh yeah. Um, so <laughs> just so I can reference reference myself um, as well as as to the listeners, but well, um, so. Uh- Real quick, actually, as far as House Earthing, they have a chieftain, mm-hmm. and then the structure below the chieftain is essentially knights constantly fighting each other. Okay. For position like there isn't an actual like steady structure except for chief the chieftain and then like the sons of Horus that that monitor them. I guess you could say as much as you can monitor a, a group of knights. Um, and I know I'm one of those people that don't think about the guys that are piloting the knights. I think about these giant, you know, robots that like can knock down a building or spear a Spartan in half, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so like they talk about how uh, there is a chieftain, and then below that chieftain, uh, the other knights kind of fill in line for the pecking order. Um, but they're constantly like when a when some when the moment arises, they're they're fighting to to be farther up in that pecking order. So. Yeah, no, totally, totally get it. Um, I was just wondering if we had any other examples of sort of the personal arms, and then if we could extrapolate from the personal arms where somebody was within that sort of pecking order. But it doesn't look like we do. But that's the kind of thing that I want to get into with this decoding project and. It's sort of what I tried to do with the Titans and going over their banners and their kill <laughs> banners and their princeps banners and their legio banners. And so there's just a lot of, of um, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of meaning and there's a lot of iconography that goes into these. And um, I want to kind of start to decode some of that stuff and get after it. So uh, make it really easy for, for folks that, um, really like knights and really want to kind of explore the different houses and get into the lore. Uh, a lot of it's just sort of embedded, right? It's embedded in these crazy graphics that we have these full color plates, um, these crazy runes and these, and uh, you know, these, these, what are these like faces, really skulls? What are they? You know, on the band, oh, yeah, the skulls and emblems and yeah. well, I mean, a lot of them are, you know, what's a kill marker and what just signifies a house, you know, that kind of thing. And just kind of taking all that apart and understanding it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Just like unpacking all that stuff. So, so I think in a future episode, guys, uh, I will record some of this. I might do it with Pat. I might do it on my own. Um, We'll see what Jason's up to, but it'll probably be a very deep look into um, the, banners the iconography uh and the uh just the the heraldry of the night houses sort of looking at the full color plates and sort of unpacking those um so yeah when i get some time i I shall i shall do that yeah um i think that's it i think that's all we have for tonight uh and for this recording uh thank you guys so much for listening um i'm trying to think of if we have any plugs other than, uh, hey, you know, make sure to like us on Facebook. Uh, we're we're now on Podbean now. We're not on SoundCloud, uh, but you know, like us, follow us. Uh, you know, we're on iTunes. We're on Android. We're on Podbean. 
Look for us on Facebook. And if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any concerns, just message us. Uh, message us on Facebook. Comment on this episode. Uh, talk to us. You want you want something found out about night houses and 30K? Tell us about it. We'll take a look at it, you know? Yeah, and, and we're not done talking about night oh, houses. Oh, heavens no. Yeah. We're going to, I know next week or the next time we record, we're going to talk about House Malinax. We'll talk about House Maccabeus. And who knows, man? Who else? Who knows what might come out between now and then, you know? You never know. We might, you, never know. you know, Forge World may be like, oh, hey, this night house was in the middle of, uh, you know, the, the battle for Olinor, and it's a night house that no one's ever heard of, you know? And so we got to take a look at that. Um, definitely have to take a look at that. Yeah. Nice. But, uh, oh, did you want to uh, talk about your, your special transfer project? Um, I think I did a little bit, but only in the you guys would like one. They're being made now. Uh, they will go to print by the end of this month, early next month. And I'll have some details on sort of price and um, picks. But I, I don't want to put any of that stuff out here. So if you guys are interested, right. just, just hit, hit me up on uh, on Facebook PM. Well, there you go. Well, uh, we'll see the usual. Fuck off, Craig. Later, Craig. <laughs>